I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome back to the show today, regular guest host, Mark Dunderland, Stuart Roberts. Mark, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am well. I'm Stuart, how are you doing? Yeah, all good, thanks. Great to see you guys. Yes, it's very nice to see you too. We're still coming from lockdown 3.0 in the United Kingdom for this this episode on the second of February. So yeah, um, I wanted to ask you actually. We, we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got two questions. My preamble stuff before we go on to mid south. So question one is, what are you guys watching non wrestling related? So I'm always looking for a good box set recommendation. So Stu, as you're on my screen still from your your last words, what what are you and what are you and Liz watching at the moment? Well, we've got we've, we've got a few on the go. We're watching The Crown at the moment. Oh, we're, how far in are you? Uh, we are on, well, we're on, episode, we've just got to watch episode 10 of series one. Ah, so, uh, excellent. So, yeah, excellent. And, it, and it gets, uh, it gets a big thumbs up for, for me on that one. Um, yep. I also watched a, a mini series called The Night Stalker on Netflix. Yeah. Um, which is about, um, about this, a mass murder in Los Angeles. And they were really, yeah, really interested in that. Um, and then just for a bit of comedy, I'm watching a bit of a classic uh, um, BBC Absolutely Fabulous with Liz. Oh, wow. Okay. Again. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so, we're trying to get a bit of a broad mix with a bit of humour in there as well. But, um, but yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some good stuff out there at the moment. Um, somebody else recommended to me, um, I think it's called, uh, is it Designated Survivor? It's got Keith. Uh, Keith oh, I've heard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've heard some good yeah. things about that, but I've not watched it. Yeah. 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 And then uh, I just want to give a massive shout out to Cobra Kai, which is just one of the best. TV series that I've ever seen. So, so is that so, Karate yeah. Kid uh, after Karate Kid, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, so rather, it's set yeah, 30 yeah. years. It's set 30 years after Karate Kid, and it's just uh, it's just amazing, really. If you like the Karate Kid films and all the nostalgia around it, you'll love Cobra Kai. So, uh, so yeah, I've so got a lot of box sets on the go at the moment. So yeah, that's good. Mark, have you said have you have you dived in the Crown at all? I have not. Um, I'm more of a uh, the sort of 20 minute comedy episodes yeah. uh, thing is my thing, and. Uh, um, for Christmas, uh, my wife got me the box set of the Office American version. Oh, great! Uh, which yeah, I have seen before, but she'd never watched them. So we're getting through those at the moment. And um, Superstars just arrived on Netflix, so we tried that out tonight for the first time. That seems quite funny. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're not in for the. I don't know about the Crown. Is that like forty-five minutes episode? It's more mainly thing? an hour. They're quite oh, long episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah because with with a five-year-old in the house, we don't know if we're going to get to the end of something like that. Whereas a eighteen, nineteen-minute comedy thing, you usually uh, all set for an episode and then chance your arm on a second one. That's funny you say that, Mike. One of my my, my mates, Peter, is on the podcast a few weeks back. Actually, he's he's got I think his children are nine and eight or ten and nine now. I should know that nine and eight, I think. And they've got a newborn who's eighteen weeks old, and I was on at him to to watch the cranks, his big sort of history buff and this sort of stuff. And he's like, "Mate, I get about twenty minutes to myself today, which I usually have a poo during, and look at my phone, look at the paper, and I've got no time in the evening. I usually go to bed at eight thirty at the moment. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Probably save that one for a few months' time, perhaps then. But the Crown is excellent. We did, we just watched the Crown, um, and I absolutely loved it. Though you've got your not this is any spoiler, Stu, but you're. I think you'll find, I'm interested when you get to it, between the end of series two and the start of series three, or as it changes, the whole cast changes. So yeah. you get these first few episodes where they actually, especially um, the lady playing, Helena Bottom Carter, who plays Princess Margaret, is quite a bit older than, yeah. than Margaret was at the time. In fact, she's older than... Um, Olivia Coleman, who plays the Queen, um, and I was a big, fa- I was a big fan of Princess Margaret, and you might 
you might agree with me or or yeah, kind yeah, of be on the yeah, same yeah. wavelength. Yeah, big yeah, big fan, yeah. big fan of her work in the series. Uh, yeah, and that's a little bit grating. But then then after three or four episodes, you kind of get used to the queen being a yeah. bit older. But that was that was a bit difficult. But it's it's fantastic. And Mark Office US. We watched that right at the start of the original lockdown. Same thing. Charlotte had seen it. I had seen bits and pieces, but we haven't quite finished it yet. Actually, I think we've got five or six episodes to go, which you need to go back to. But how, how far along are you so far? Are you enjoying it? Well, no, we, we just started after Christmas, so uh, we're still on series. Uh, we've finished series one because there's yeah. less episodes in that one. Um, but I know it from memory, when I watched it the first time around, it, it gets better and better all the way yes. through. So I think series seven is when Michael leaves, so the last two. There's a there's a bit of a decrease in quality, but there's still enough uh, good stuff to keep you tuning in right to the end. And the finale is amazing. The end. Of oh, I haven't nine. seen that yet. I need I need to. We definitely need to. Go, we're, we're watching um, this really weird thing on Netflix called Ratchet, um, which is I think a spin-off from One, One Flow Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, and it's really. Have you seen any of it, Mark? It's really. I haven't. Really no, I've odd. seen the film, and I was interested by the trailer for the series, but I haven't started it. It's just. I, I, do you know what? It's so bizarre and so weird. I can't even really talk about it on air. Maybe I'll message you about that later because it's uh, X. It's X, not only is it X-rated, but it's particularly niche X-rated at the same time. So, um, on the same topic, uh, but not uh, non. I'm wording this very, very well. Any particular wrestling stuff you guys have been watching recently, keeping you occupied during lockdown? Uh, well, I've been um, I've been toying with the idea of a podcast idea coming up later on this year about the earlier days of ECW. So I've been watching a few of their, luckily all the bigger shows from 1993, 1994 are on the WWE network. I've been looking at a few of those and, um, and I, I, I buy uh, wrestling DVD still old school um, regularly. And they just sit on shelves for months at a time. So yeah, I, I get a few. Lately, I've been watching the El Generico compilation from his oh, Ring great. Honor and PWG days. So there's some really good stuff on there, working against guys that he works against now, but obviously in their previous incarnations, like Seth Rollins, Tyler Black, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, and so on. So. Yeah, that's great. I think the thing with the DVDs is that you just know you know where the matches are. You haven't got the rigmarole of trying to find some uh you know some dodgy uh internet version of it where you know it's probably going to cut there might be adverts it's not going to work you can't get a new television whereas old faithful dvds now now I, the last lockdown i bought a kind of re-conditioned re, uh, ps4 and it's the first time i've had a dvd player connected to the television for ages so i've started watching some old like dvds and you know, i watched the brett and sean sit down with jim ross recently which was really really good so yeah my dvds have been very unloved for a long time so i think i'm gonna get back on it because some of the, like the cm punk one the rock one is really really good as well and there's loads of stuff how about you Stu? what have you what have you been watching recently on a wrestling front well not 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 a massive amount because i i have been focusing on uh on lego focusing on that but what i will say is i was finishing off one set the other day and mark recommended watching the 2002 royal rumble oh yes so, yeah uh, i i gave i gave that a watch and i and, and i just forgot what a classic rumble match that actually was there was so much going on throughout that that rumble match you know it really uh, uh so that was quite enjoyable to watch um but i just just nip it but i i have to say i've been watching um um Oh, head now. Uh, the, the, the Smackdown, the talk show after Smackdown. Oh, yeah, Talking Smack. Yeah, Talking Smack, that's it. And uh, and some of the, uh, the the interviews that he's had with like uh, Michael Pollock Cruz, and, and, and uh, it's just been absolutely classic. Heyman really, really enjoyed them. 
And I've also been watching a lot of Reigns and stuff. I really think Reigns' characters just evolved so much into what he should have been probably two, three years ago. So, um, is he so going to get cheered at WrestleMania in front of a crowd? Well, it depends who he faces after the Rumble. Yeah. Well, what I mean, what's the way, room? Maybe. I mean, well, actually, because the Royal Rumble's happened now, isn't it? So, we, so I mean, obviously, <laughs> CM Punk was a big surprise winner. So, I mean, I don't know. We don't know which way he's going he's gonna to go yet because he didn't, he didn't pop up on Raw last night. So, we'll see. And obviously, Brock Lesnar being in there again. Goldberg's now WWE champion. So, you know, there's lots of news coming out of that one, isn't there? I couldn't believe Goldberg squashed Drew McIntyre in 25 seconds. What did you think of that one? Was it, was it 25 seconds? I, I only counted 15. So oh, well, maybe it was 15 seconds. Yeah, perhaps my stopwatch wasn't working for that one. <laughs> and the, I mean, the Twitter reaction. The CZW invasion threw me off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And also, um, CM Punk coming down to in the in the in the last one, uh, him and um, him and pff, I don't know, pick a wrestler who's the last in two. The I ladies' room. What was he doing in the ladies' room? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Be- will Becky Becky Lynch make a return? We're, 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 I'm changing tenses now and asking a question. So we'll, we'll, by she the time did an is- Instagram. She did an Instagram photo last weekend for the Conor McGregor fight and she was in the gym. Ah, was she? She looked good in that, actually. I saw a photo of her talking about McGregor. Did either of you watch that fight last uh, weekend or so ago now? I saw the second round. Yeah, yeah. And the the after fight interviews. Yeah, poor old old Conor. I mean, I suppose it's always hard losing, but I'm sure his payday probably made him feel a little bit better about um, about everything. And Mark, you've been watching quite a lot of AEW recently as well, haven't you? So um, how have you found that? Yeah, Saturday mornings. I suppose that's quite a good good time slot for the ITV show on a Friday night and then, you know, being available to people watch on demand or weekend. Yeah, it's um, as long as I've, I'm being a bit selective with my Twitter, so I'm not getting much spoiled for me in the meantime. Mm. But yeah, it's shown over here on uh, national television on a Friday night late. So uh, I get up Saturday morning early with my son and... Uh, we that's our routine now we'll watch dynamite every saturday and it, it's really good and we were we're looking forward to the next pay-per-view that they're building towards now but of course the news come through last week that for the first time it's going to be on a sunday night instead yeah. of saturday that was a bit disappointing because that was quite appealing to me the fact that they do saturday night pay-per-views which is way more convenient for those of us that work monday to friday yeah, I mean, not, I've stayed up for one so far, um, but it just just been able to get up on a Sunday morning and watch it with no, you know, you don't have to look at your phone. I did that for UFC last weekend. Didn't look at my phone um, at all. Watched it and then looked at my phone after the main event, and it's just per- it's perfect being Saturday nights. I hope I know that they've they've gone for Sunday Sunday because there's a big UFC on the on the Saturday night they were originally going to go for, and I think there's a Canelo fight on the. F- Sat- it's yeah. one or, or t'other the night before there's one of those they pushed and another back weekend. eight days didn't they yeah exactly so I hope this is, this is only a one-off experiment but I suspect if they do particularly well on pay-per-view um, they might keep them on Sundays which is a, a big uh, no-no as I'm saying keep it back on Saturdays All right anything else to add before we move on to the any, anything you guys want to bring up before we move on to the Mid-South episode any pressing matters at hand uh, no nope. No, no, okay. Right, so we'll go on to the 2nd of February 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Um, Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts at the desk this week, and Boyd's in a very nice flowery pattern blue suit, and he welcomes us to another week of exciting action and adds that he doesn't use exciting as a phrase or definition. It just is the world's most exciting wrestling anywhere, match for match. 
So we have the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, the Rock and Roll Express here in action, plus Hacksaw, Jim Duggan and Terry Taylor versus Dr. Death, Steve Williams and Buddy Landell. Ice-Man King Parsons up against Kamala and Skandar Akbar is barred from ringside. So Boyd throws to Watts, who says that one of the biggest innovations in working out has been to set the mood with some fantastic music, adding, you know what goes together great, and that's break dancing and athletics. And Mike Mogan's gym in Tulsa had Butch Reed there the other day, Joel was also there with his camera. Plus, Eric Watts is mentioned for the first time. He was there and even threw in Micah for good measure. I don't believe Micah was in attendance. And Carl Jackson was there. And he's the infamous Tulsa breakdancing champion. Um, and basically, this was never ending as, as Bill linked every member of his family to someone they played football with. Um, now, before we cut to this video, Stuart, what fantastic music do you like to pair with exercise? Um, I should probably give you some advance warning of these questions, shouldn't I, really? Uh, yeah, on the spot, on the spot. Um, but when I go running, I, it's rock. Guns and rock. Roses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just something with a bit of, yeah, yeah, to keep it going. So, Can you do a podcast yeah. while running? Uh, I could try. Mm. I, 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 uh, one, one time a mate was out and I was running, I had the uh, FA Cup draw on my headphones and I was play in the draw to him as I was running so I said yeah I could, I could okay yeah. yeah 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 we can try that one time if you want how about you Mark I do not exercise <laughs> you did a 5k though last year I know you did that so I, well that was because you challenged me yeah, publicly, yeah. so I couldn't really <laughs> go back on, on that uh so yeah I've, I've got um a few things downloaded from iTunes on my phone so again old-fashioned uh I'm not a Spotify guy yet so I, I like rock similar to Stu a uh, couple of rock songs here and there and, and I do uh, like to listen to the odd podcast when I'm biking to work and back so it's that well that's exercise but how long is your bike ride to work <laughs> three and a half four minutes okay well <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that's your do, do it like Chris Boardman rather than it rather than slow and steady um I I I talking about the podcast I I found and I don't do any my knees are getting a bit iffy and considering that both my gran and father on that side were, you know, both in bad ways walking. I'm thinking probably should lay off the heavy duty uh, impact on these. So road running, I think is out now. But last summer I was doing quite a lot of 10Ks. I could find, I could probably do a bit of podcast listening on a 10K because it's long enough and it's like a slower pace. But if I was doing a 5K, I was just like, I can't, like, this is not enough. I need like something a bit, you know, a bit, mm. a bit heavier. And I've got a nice little um, selection of various entrance music of like, I think I've got old CM Punk, New CM, newer CM Punk. Well, I think I've got Osprey, uh, Minoru Suzuki is one that I really like, which the crowd sing along to, and then a few others. You've got like a few Rocky songs, and there's pretty much about half an hour of that that gets me to not break my five yeah. k record, and I give up. So you yeah, can't that's, go wrong with the Rocky. The Rocky soundtrack is is an all time yeah. winner for any yeah. sort of exercise. All right, watch. Your, here we go. Watch. Okay, we're going to go off track here. Favorite Rocky film, and also favorite song from a Rocky. So Mark, you can go first. Uh, I. Favourite is different to best. So if you're asking me, my favourite Rocky film is Rocky Four. Yeah, that's uh, fine. I know, I, know, I know where you're going there. Yeah, it's generally on, yeah. not considered one of the better ones due to various reasons with the story and everything. But it, it, same thing. It's got the better soundtrack and, and yeah. everything with the, the extra songs as well as the classic theme and the montage stuff. And yeah, uh, I bought into the, uh, Dolph Lundgren and his yeah. and Sly's ex-wife. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think, Stu? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think Rocky Four for me. Um, um, song probably from either side from one of the previous Rocky Four. Uh, yeah. But I tell, yeah. I tell you what, I do really like it. I, I um I, and I watched it on the plane over to uh, over to New York um, last year. It was Creed Two. Yes. Which was yeah. like uh, Dolph's son and and and, and Apollo's and I and I and I love that. I thought that was a brilliant film. Yeah. And again. Very much like we talked about, like the Cobra Kai, the nostalgia of the the old characters coming back and stuff like that. Um, I, I did curiously like though Rocky Balboa, which yeah, was the yeah. one after Rocky Five, wasn't it, where he yeah. came back for a fight, didn't he? And I, I, yeah, I like that one, but no, no, um, Rocky Four, every day. Yeah. I thought the Creed films were, were really, really exceptional. Um, yeah, really well done. And Rocky Balboa is the only film I've ever seen twice in the cinema, so there's a little factoid for you. And I know what you mean about Rocky Four. I think Eye of the Tiger is obviously an um, unbelievable song, and one of our favourite darts players, Roman Van Barneveld, used that for years. Interesting. And also, obviously, Hulk Hogan. I've never seen that before. I sent that around to you guys in terms yeah, of his... WrestleMania. Uh, the the Iron Sheik. Yeah, and coming out. And I think the WrestleMania one's floating around now with, with the original Eye of the Tiger music on. Um, but... The two songs in Rocky Four, the uh, No Easy Way Out and Hearts on Fire over the credits at the end is just unbelievable. But I think that's the most. I think if you if I had if I, if I had to think what would I have the most fun watching, probably be Rocky Four because of all the ridiculous montages and not just good fun. But I favourites is probably Rocky One as like a pure film. But I probably would have less fun watching that. If that makes sense. So I consider I, Rocky Four a Christmas film, by the way, because of the uh, ah, fight taking place on December twenty fifth. I hadn't thought of that. That's very oh. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The one of my favourite things about Rocky Four into Rocky Five is that obviously I think Stallone must have been doing some interesting stuff in the late eighties because he just basically was like, no one's going to remember if I age my son by five or six years in between films because Rocky Five starts the very next day, I believe, isn't it? <laughs> or, so it's just like, yeah, just and also they've moved house. So in Rocky Four, they're living in somewhere in like some hot climate California or something, Rocky Five. So what are you doing, Sly? Like, this is your legacy you're talking about. Thank God he got the chance to come back and, uh, and make things right with Rocky Balboa. Um, I've put off this video package as long as I can. So we then throw to a video set to, set to Body Work by Hot Street. Did either of you know this song? No, no. no. I, I did Google it for a bit of information and there's not a lot about it. No, so no. I don't know how well it did... Uh... In the oh, chat. Oh, I know actually. I've got, I've got a question coming up. Oh. The first of many chart related questions on uh, in the, within this podcast. So, uh, yeah. So, first, there's some break dancing. I presume that's Carl, the Tulsa break dance champion, giving the standard. Then there's two identified people come in and dance badly in the background. I think one of them is Eric Watts. Um, though I'm not, I don't think the other's Micah. He mentioned Bill mentions Micah, but later in the hour, he, he, he doesn't mention Micah being there. So we then get a shot of, of Reed hammering what looked like a one man gang. Did you spot that in terms of yes, the, yeah, yeah they did with the big gang, furry uh, collar, yeah, yeah. I think it was one man gang. Um, so yeah, he's hammering one man gang. Um, we're punching a wrestling ring, then back to the break dancing place, and Reed is standing with the guys. Then he's doing an overhead peck move, the dumbbell, then a punch in a ring to poor old Buddy Landell for good measure. Back to the workout, more punishment on Landell as the song implores us to work your body, shake your body down, work your body, move it all around. Then there's a press slam from Reed. Now he's doing a little bit of dancing, almost looking like he's lifting the break dance off a floor with his arms, something straight out of David Copperfield or something there. Uh, yeah, very, yeah, Mark's doing the action there. Uh, perfect. Uh, now back in the gym, Reed is on the bench press and Carl is teaching 
who I'm now for sure is Eric Watts and some other guy, some moves, which one performs okay and the other does not. I like to think that Eric was the one that didn't perform it very well. Reed points at a pull-up bar and one of the Watts does a, one of the guys there, perhaps Eric again, does a decent number of reps. There's more in-ring action with Reed, including a dropkick and Kamala back in the gym and some arm curls. Uh, Carl's back and now they're mouthing the words, the song Bodywork, and thankfully it's over. Mark first, what do you think of this? Uh, well, I haven't got a lot to say on the content of the video, but it was more sort of Bill's introduction to it and um, and that which I've, I've made some notes about. Uh, he mentioned, he, he name-dropped Mike Morgan's gym in Tulsa, and he has got a history of mentioning local businesses. I think he's got some sort of deal in place with some maybe some friends who, who run these companies. Like the other week when they gave Hacksaw Jim Duggan those cufflinks, I think the yeah. jewellery store got mentioned five or six times yes. that week. Uh, so this was the first of numerous mentions of Mike Morgan's gym throughout this hour. Um, and he also mentioned his son Eric's, um, I don't know the word, nickname that his friends call oh, him when yeah, he's breakdancing. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you catch that at all? It was Slim something, wasn't it? I don't know why I didn't read that. Slick Slam. Slick Slam, there you go, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he named all of... Eric's friends and breakdancing buddies individually enlisted what position each of them played in the football team. And, um, and as he said, it was Joel had gone with them to do the video. This was the only mention in this week's episode of Joel Watts. So I did want to mention that Bruce Pritchard was asked about Joel in a recent Q and a on his podcast. Oh, really? How interesting. And he said that he saw him only about a year ago. And he is still involved in video production and editing down in Oklahoma. So what he was doing back then in the uh, Mid-South days, he's obviously stuck with and he's still uh, still doing it now. Oh, so good, good for him. Good on him. Yeah, absolutely. What, what did you think of this year? Um, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those, <laughs> yeah. Um, not a lot, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, uh, I think because you didn't know the song. I mean, a lot, a lot of the stuff that, that means that you tend to know the songs and, and it just it just didn't seem to go, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, it didn't really, did it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I, I I did like the uh, the magical lifting him off the floor and he, and he did almost like a, a, a pseudo worm type thing. Um, yeah, that was really spot, um, But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I, again, it, it was just a reflection of the the, the, the video package put together was, was, was good, but yeah, I agree. I think I think Joel did a good good job with this, as he always does. It's just yeah. the song was a little bit the song and the the genre of what they were doing was just a tiny little bit bizarre. So, in my first bit of uh, trivia chart related questions, what do you think? Can you have a guess on where this song? Uh, so it was which I've already forgotten the name of Bodywork by Hot Streak. Where did this reach in the U? Where did this peak in the UK charts? I'd say it was lucky to make the top 75. So whoever gets caught, I'm going to keep a tally of this as we go along. So we're going to do prices right rules. Whoever's closest gets it. Uh, so I need a number. 39. 39 from, from Mark. Where are you going, Stu? Okay. Um, Thanks for reminding 63. me of that, by the way, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that, sorry, Stu? 63. 63. So on June the 18th, 1983, this song got to the, sorry, that's completely wrong. 
on <laughs> on September the 10th, 1983, this song got to the lofty heights of number 19 in the UK chart. So Mark takes it wow. with his 39. So top 20 single. Wow. Yeah, top 20 single. Um, so Jim Ross is a ring announcer, and the first and first match is Tennessee Terry Ellis and the Golden Terror, who was in a mask, and their opponents and Mid-South Tag Team Champions. And as usual, their ELO theme tune, Rock and Roll is King, got the people out of their seats. Do you know where I'm going? Stu, where do you think Rock and Roll is King by Electric Light Orchestra peaked in the UK charts? ELO. Ooh. 14. 14. Well, okay. Mark, where do you think? Um, I was going to say top 10, so let's say eight. Eight. Stu, it was 13. 13 on June the 18th, 1983. So they did a little bit better than the first song, but so it's one all in our chart battle. So yeah, very well done. The champs, did you you notice the Rock and Roll Express's uh, tights and waistcoats were horribly clashing here in the two different shades of purple? Did you notice that? Just just me on uh, Fashion Police this week on on those. Um, And the Golden Terror had on full golden or yellow tights and had like one of these i don't know if you, if you guys have got any of these base layer tops but it's never that good for the physique i could have been <laughs> in like the best shape of my life like i'm training for stag do in ibiza for six months and i still if i ever have the misfortune of putting one of these on i still look absolutely terrible and alas the golden terror was exactly the same here um what said a lot of fans tell him how exciting it is to watch wrestling. I thought this was going to be something else from Watts, but it wasn't. It's was a really funny comment from Watts later on. So I'm, I'm preempting that. What said a lot of fans tell him how exciting it is to watch wrestling on TV. But if they've never been to the arena, they should go because there's nothing like it. Three dimensional. Uh, big double drop kick in one minute 22 from the Rock and Roll Express. And they are the winners. Uh, Mark, any thoughts on this short squash? Yeah, the the... Golden Conquistador uh, Terra, uh, no Terry Ellis got in any FN offense whatsoever, no. which isn't a criticism, but it was noticeable. Um, and towards the end, Bill said on commentary that Grizzly Smith had lots of tag teams requesting a title shot, and he did name a few current Mid South teams. But what really stood out was he mentioned the Road Warriors as yes. well. Yes, yeah. So I wondered if that meant they would be in talks to come to the territory eventually. I don't know if they will or not in the future, but. I think I've seen them um, at least once, maybe in a uh, promo. Right. I think um, I'm not. I'm not hundred sure. Sure, I'll just let that up. Shoot, what did you think of this? Uh, this short squash. Um, I thought it was a, a, a bit sloppy. If I'm being, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I mean, I mean, sloppy from the opponent's rather than rock and roll express. Um, but yeah, a couple of great drop kicks, and um, yeah, that was about that was about it really. I, I I was trying to do a bit of research on the Golden Terror because like like Mark's a very conquistador type uh, uh, outfit and stuff like that. But um, I, I really struggled to find any sort of information on um, the Golden Terror. The only, the only ref- well, I found a couple of references to the Golden Terror. Um, one was far too early, like you're going back to like the sixties and stuff like that. Um, but there were there was something kicking around that it may have been Pete Doherty who was the Duke of Dorchester might have. I don't know oh wow! Knows, you know. <laughs> um, so I'd be interested to know if anybody knows who the Golden Terror was. He's going to pop really up in the crown found... in, the, in episode episode one <laughs> of series two. Yeah, <laughs> I Love found really, Margaret. I found very little information on who who was behind the mask. If you know what I mean. So, oh, well, but but in terms of the match, yeah. there, there wasn't much to write home about really. And um, yeah, it was a bit uh, it was a bit sloppy, really. I, 
Yeah, they, I, 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 I know where they go. I know why they get the Rocking Sport Express out there and they have them in and have them win quickly. But I'd just rather see, you know, four or five minutes from these guys than, than other people. So on the Road Warriors thing, they appeared um, on Mid-South Television twice in August 83. So that's before I started watching. Um, but I did see Hawk, um, Animal and Hawk defeated Art Cruz and Mike Bond on uh, Mid-South episode 218. That was taped on... The 9th of November 83. So that had been just around the time that I started watching. And also, interestingly, they did appear at the Superdome show in March 85. So, um, what, eight or so weeks after this aired. Yeah. So I guess that would have been built up in, um, in the, you know, the, the, the localized promos and stuff. Um, so back from the break, Ted DiBiossi is in ring with Jim Ross in a tuxedo and bow tie, and he's there to make an announcement. He says that Duggan was there two weeks ago in a tuxedo trying to show everyone that he had class. He said it was, he said it was obvious it was a rented tuxedo as it didn't fit very well, whereas his is custom made and he is class from head to toe. He says Mid-South is very biased and prejudiced in the way they treat Duggan and the way they treat him. So he's put together some clips of himself, sets the song Bad Reputation by Joan Jett. So I guess this must have been the first time that this famous kind of combat sports song that Ronda Rousey used in UFC and wrestling ever appeared in a wrestling television show, I presume. And I know you're waiting for the big question, where did this chart? <laughs> I have you know, Bad Reputation did not chart in the UK. I've no idea why but it didn't chart. So I wonder if it perhaps wasn't, perhaps only an album track here. I don't know. And it was released in the Yeah, stage. I think uh, uh, I did read a bit about it. I think I Love Rock and Roll uh, was the big single from that mm. same album. Yeah. So I wonder if that's the one that made the charts in this country. And I, I suspect like back then um, there was probably, because of the cost of producing a single, I suspect they only really, you know, the ones they knew that were going to do, going to do well kind of thing. Um, so this video shows DiBiossi nailing various opponents with punches with his glove on, some swinging net breakers. He slammed Ricky Morton's head into a ring post. There's a lovely power slam in there in his patented figure four. And they even went back in time and showed DiBiossi drilling JYD and Andre the Giant with punches. Um, I like this a lot, actually. Very simple, but the song worked well for DiBiossi's character. Um, Stu, what did you think of this short video package? Apparently, Ted DiBiossi is a wonderful video editor as well as promo and in-ring style as well. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I thought DiBiossi here was, was, was red hot here. I think he, 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 his mind work, um, he, he is just a real star. Uh, yeah. And that really, really, really came out. And then obviously the video, I, I love the video package because there was some really old put like Andre the Giant. I'd, I'd never ever seen that or even put them through in, a, in like a, uh, in a match together or something like that. So I'd be interested to know how, how far back that was. Um, but yeah, he, he, he played the, um, he played the class card really well, but he, he is, he, he was red off here. And, and um, I, I just can't, I, I still can't get used to him not having a beard. If it's really yeah. I look at him, I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he looked, he looked, he looked good in his, his top hat. And, uh, top hat and tail. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, excellent mind work there. That, that's what really stood out for me. Yeah, definitely. What did you think of this one, Mark? Yeah. I, I said at the um, at our year end episode about what I've enjoyed about Mid-South through 1984 the Ted DiBiase was always one of my favorite heels and, and I love watching him here as much as I did in WWF years later or years earlier so anyway uh look he was looking as close as he has to the million dollar man character here while while I've seen him in mid-south obviously with the with the uh get up he, he did apart from the frilly pink shirt uh the hearing uh reputation by Joan Jett was giving me flashbacks to 
MetLife Stadium two years ago. Yeah. When the three of us saw it performed live for Ronda Rouse's oh, entrance. Yeah, yeah. Which was about six and a half hours into WrestleMania 35. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, yeah, the, I enjoyed the video itself. It was odd that he's trying to put a video together. The point of his point he was trying to make was to show what a great wrestler he is. But there was a lot of clips of him cheating by loading up his glove, which defeats the object of saying, here's why I'm better than Jim Duggan. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Breaking the rules. But uh, yeah, I put Andre the Giant in my notes. It was notable that he was he was staggering him with a few big uh, right fists and and all, everything he does so well, the swinging neck breakers, the fist drops, the power slams, figure four leg locks. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love anything involving Ted DiBiase. Yeah, so good. I said I said very uneloquently a week or so ago that I thought I was almost kind of disappointed that DiBiase didn't have a, you know, like a Ric Flair run or something. Because I thought this guy here and the stuff I've seen him in longer form matches later is just so good. Um, that Andre the Giant clip i believe would have been from uh mid-south episode 179 um, which was taped on the 2nd of february 83 so um that would have been a you know andre was still i think after after vince mcmahon senior took over i don't think andre worked the territories thereafter i think he was exclusive wwf so from um Actually, I think Vince Jr. was in charge of this time, but there was there was a year or so when Vince Jr. was paying Vince Senior the the whatever it was million dollars was it I think he had to pay him in, or something like that in stages didn't he? he had stage payments and I don't think during that time period he changed very much. It wasn't until he had completely bought the company out that he started um, doing stuff. I'm pretty sure in the, in that Pat LaProd book on Andre that that was the moment where the the touring and stuff ceased and he was just with WWF. Um, so DiBiase says that a picture is worth a thousand words and he issued a challenge to Jim Duggan. He wants the people in the audience to put all of their pressures aside and pick who they think is the best dressed man in Mid-South. He adds it can't be that hippie Duggan um, as Landell, who'd come out to the ring for his tag match along with Steve Williams, offered his support. Duggan then appeared with Taylor and said something I couldn't catch. Was this Clown Doctor or something? Did either of you catch this this line from, uh, from Duggan? Oh, no, yeah, I, I couldn't. So. Couldn't catch it. Um, he then added, "It had to the Dibiase suit had to be tailor made because nothing that came off the rack would fit Dibiase with that big can of his." I mean, poor Ted might have been self conscious. I'm presuming can is ass. Poor Ted might have been quite self conscious <laughs> about this big ass. And um, Dibiase adds that class is class and it stands out. Uh, Dibiase then taps Duggan on the nose with his cane and then a big brawl in shoes. And um, Duggan and Taylor. Double clothesline Landell as the ref tries to get order. And Williams dragged Landell to the outside who sold the clothesline as if he'd been KO'd. Um, Mark, first, what did you think of the back and forth with Duggan and, and DiBiase here, plus the, the short brawl we got afterwards? Um, I liked how, um, after Ted had eloquently painted the picture of Duggan wearing an ill-fitting rental suit compared to his, which was tailor-made, I, I will be curious to see in a fortnight how Hacksaw looks uh, when he turns up for that yes. uh, battle. And... There was no mention of the prestigious Lucian Picard cuff twins on this one. Um, but uh, uh, it's also been a while since I've heard somebody refer to Hacksaw as a hippie. I know Bill Watts used to make a big deal out of that in commentary, so yeah. that, that's come back. And um, yeah, Duggan's line where he tried to come back on DBSC, I don't think he delivered it quite right. It didn't make a lot of sense. I believe the exact thing he said was that had to be tailor-made. Nothing they could fit could come off the rack for you with that big can of yours and <laughs> um and then I, I also noted how after 
Taylor and Duggan a double close line Landell with DBS's cane. Landell sold it huge, been totally dead weight as Doc yeah. had to drag it out. Ring, uh, I enjoyed that too. Any anything to add, Stu, on this? Uh, not not really. I just think like like I said, Dibiase was. I, I thought he was like really red hot there, and, and, yeah. and I think taking Landell out of the match was the right thing to do in, in that respect to what happened next. Yes. So because um, uh, um, I don't think Landell would have been able to achieve what they wanted to achieve, which I suppose is a nice lead into you into the next match. Yeah, so back from the break, Watts talks about the fashion show in two weeks and the disgusting comments Diviossi said about Duggan. Personally, I thought the big can comment was the most disgusting of the lot, but there we go. Um, back in the ring, Williams said he had a new partner take on Duggan and Taylor and he'll be there in one minute. Um, Duggan said they had the clock on him and the ref started counting. Um, Taylor then pointed to the corner of the building as Diviossi himself uh, became Williams' partner. Ted said that no... Ted said that no good so-and-so isn't going to get away with what he did to Landell, the so-called people's champion, talking about Duggan, and they all get straight into it. So TV champion versus North American champion, um, first in the room with Taylor and DiBiase in there. Um, the Hills got on top in this one after Taylor caught a clothesline from Williams when, when running the ropes. Watt said this is a main event in anyone's arena in the country, and the crowd got behind Taylor with a go Terry go charm. And DiBiase with a headlock on Taylor, and this showed him tightening up on the move and was a perfect example of what I said last week about so-called rest holes and making them appear more than that and having something of a struggle. Taylor got a near fall with a sunset flip on Williams before he took back over on DiBiase. Oh, God, I'm, there's some terrible notes there. Basically, heels are back on top. Um, and Diviossi nearly got Taylor with a shot off the middle rope. Uh, great inside cradle from Taylor for another near fall shortly after. Great shot when Taylor finally made the tag with Duggan hammering fists into both opponents. Landell then came back out to ringside and pulled the top rope down and Duggan took a big spell to the floor. Um, Diviossi loaded the glove and punched Duggan with it. In ring, Taylor fought back on Ted as Williams and Duggan were both down on the outside. Williams made it to his feet and tripped Taylor as he ran the ropes. DiBiase applied the figure four in 620, and this looked like it was going to be the finish, but Duggan made it back in there to make the save of the big elbow drop. Landell then interfered again and went after Duggan, but the referee did nothing. Duggan hit a double close on and then speared Landell. And bizarrely, Duggan went for the pin, and the ref counted in spite of Buddy not being in the match or not now, not you know, after the replacement. Um DiBiase and Duggan squared off, but DiBiase headed out. So the win for Duggan and Taylor and what I thought was a very exciting seven minutes and 10 seconds, albeit a totally odd finish and Landell on the losing side again. It's just like, who, who are we going to lose the match? Let's call up Buddy Landell. Um, Stu, what did you think of this one? With, with, the, um, with the video package and, and the mic work and all that before, I, I thought this was one of the best 15 minutes that I've seen in, uh, in, in Mid-South. But... Um, mm. I, I like the pace of the match. Um, I love, I love Duggan's spear. I mean, that was some spear. Right? That was, that was pretty impressive. Um, but again, I was like, you, why, why, why was there not a DQ? Why, why was there not a DQ when Landell ran the ring? Um, and and why did Duggan pin him? But um, yeah. but all in all, that was a that was a really quality fifteen minutes of, 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 of television. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it so much. So I watched it twice. Oh, really? I completely agree. I thought this was really, really good. Yeah. What did you think of the the of, of this whole match and all the all the various bits going on? Yeah, I made some notes which echo a lot of what you two have already said there. That it was really good. Uh, there was plenty of crowd heat, particularly when they were willing on Terry Taylor to make the hot tag. Um, I actually this 
for this episode, I took a leaf out of Dan's book and read through some YouTube comments for the oh, episode. Oh, really? Great. Okay. And, um, a lot of it was about Terry Taylor, about sort of dismissing him as, why was he getting a push? He didn't deserve it and so on. But I mean, technically, he's in, in the ring, he's as good as anybody they've got in Mid-South at this mm. point, as far as I'm concerned. I know his, his promos have been, well, there haven't been many of them, but that, that, that was the downside of his game in, in this era. But um, yeah, the momentum had gone back and forth a couple of times, uh, keeping the crowd on top all the way through. And when Buddy Landell come out, um, I was expecting it to be a DQ when he attacked Duggan. But when the ref let them continue three against two and Duggan ended up pinning him, the crowd was lapping it up. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I have been rereading recently Ted DiBiase's autobiography. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. He only mentioned, the only mentions of this period of his career both had a connection to this match, uh, technically. He wrote about how much he enjoyed his programme with Jim Duggan, specifically mentioning their tuxedo matches, and also how he and Steve Williams became friends after they started tagging together, and they would remain friends until Dr. Death passed away in 2009. And um, Doc even had a nice quote in DBS's book about their friendship, which was, uh, he quotes, when Ted came back into the territory, Bill Watts told me to watch him real closely. I was to study how he conducted himself as a professional, both in and outside of the ring. Bill was right. Ted was not only one of the classiest guys I ever met, but he was one of the best ring technicians. Ted taught me so much about the wrestling business and life in general. That's lovely. That's really great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Interested that, yeah. Is that is that worth a read? I've never I've never read Debiossi's um autobiography. Is that is that yeah. worth a read? Yeah. Well, as I've said, uh, he's my favourite heel, so I I enjoyed all that. But I think I bought it. Uh, we met him at WrestleMania 30, Stuart, didn't we? At uh, book signing and uh, uh, sorry, WrestleMania yeah, did, 25 at uh, Houston. Five, yeah. So that was ten years ago. I think I bought the book around that time and. Um, yeah, I'm rereading it aloud, like I say, and it's great. Yeah. What was what, what I've got is uh, I'm just looking at my bookshelf now, and I've got the signed signed book on the bottom of the bookshelf that he signed with his because it was with his son, wasn't he? Yeah, they did the signing together. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What? Um, out of interest, what? What excuse did Lewis, or what would Lewis and I do? I presume we were in bed or something while you were off. Uh, I think it was the people. it was the Saturday morning or the Sunday morning. So I'd imagine you'll have been out the night before and. You were recuperating. Oh, okay. So the sat, the sat. Did you get? Did you guys get there on the Friday for uh, that one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, yeah. Okay. The Friday. Yeah. We went out in Houston People on the Friday, and um, yeah, we were in a bad. So I remember Lewis and I were walking down the road, and this is the problem with going out in America is that we we think we're hardened drinkers there, and then you are you ask for like a vodka and coke or something, and they fill the vodka up basically as high as it can possibly go without any 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 sight or or seemingly any measures whatsoever. And I remember walking. I think we were in Rice Village in Houston. And Lewis and I just fell down on the floor, like just literally fell on the floor and couldn't get up. And we still <laughs> carried on after that as well. I was in an awful, or because we went to the Hall of Fame. Then it's I think that was the first time we went out of, out of the room. I think when we met you guys to the Hall of Fame. So yeah, what a waste of the, the the hours and hours and hours I spent in hotel rooms with Lewis in America. Just like that's a disgrace. Like I've just I bet the Houston holiday we one WrestleMania Sunday we watched about eleven hours of medical detectives and then went like all the things that we could be doing in Houston <laughs> eleven hours of medical detectives and cable TV and then got a cab to the Astrodome unbelievable terrible anyway um any more thoughts on this before we move on to the the next uh, 
the next uh, segment here. That's all I've got. No. Good stuff. Right. Um, next up after the break, Hercules Hernandez along with Skandar Akbar going against Richard Dye. Now, Richard had his initials sewn into his red trunks, which was a nice touch. Um, and then sadly, what said that Dye needs to go to Mike Mogan's gym because you can't come to Mid-South looking like that and going up against a guy with guns like Hercules. Poor Richard. He'd probably told his family to tune in. He had his special trunks on with his initials. And Watts destroys him on commentary within 10 seconds of his Mid-South debut. Unfortunately for Richard, he was in the Shinomaki in a minute and it's all over for him and not a good day at the office. Uh, Mark, what did you think of this squash match? And, and what did you think of uh, Richard's lovely initials on his trunks here? Uh, I didn't notice the, the trunks so much, to be honest. I, I noticed his general demeanour. He, he, he almost came across as shy when Jim Ross was announcing him. He was looking down <laughs> at the mat the whole time, never looked up to acknowledge the crowd or the TV camera. Uh, I guess he was just in the zone, ready ready to wrestle. Yeah. Um, but I, I, what, the thing about this match that first grabbed me was after Hercules had lost clean the week before, um, after his opponent had broke out of his finishing move now. Yes. I yeah. thought that's usually a sign that they're either finishing up with the company or they're going to be away for a while. And he's back a week later, like nothing happened, which uh, that surprised me. I, I know we'd seen that a few times in 1984, Mid-South, with Magnum TA and Crusher Khrushchev uh, went out in that Yeah, way. Khrushchev lost a lot. And, uh, but I guess that booking yeah. was just a... Yeah. Well, he, I guess that, that booking was more to push Iceman King Parsons than... Very Hercules Hernandez. Hercules isn't around for too much longer, but he is around for some time. But I, I, I don't know. I wonder if I wonder if um, yeah, I would actually. What well, I think by this point, he probably would have would have had to have given notice. Actually, I don't want to give too much away because he'll he'll be around for a little bit of time to come, but not too much. So yeah, I think I think this is. It may even have been at that TV taping. He said like, I'm I'm off. Um, and as as such, he, he you know he was he, he was plugged in there with um, with Parsons. Um, Stu, any thoughts on this short Hercules match? All I've written is Richard needs a holiday. <laughs> Richard does need a holiday, definitely. Um, yeah, so Hercules late eighty five was was world world class, and then he was in Memphis for a bit. Um, no, sorry, Championship Wrestling from Florida, and then. He was in the WWF by November, actually. So there we go. Next up, Kamala versus Iceman King Parsons. And Skandar was supposed to be banned from ringside of this one, but he was out with his man along with Friday. And there was a nice reaction to Iceman coming out to We Are Family by Sister Sledge. So you know what's coming. Where did this song peak in the UK chart? Shu, you first. Where are we going? It's a famous song, Sister Slade. Yeah, it's quite I'll go eight. Eight. Okay, Mark, where are you going? I think this is for the win, actually, because this is the last one, I I believe. Oh, no, no. uh, It's not the last one. There's one more. Uh, I think it had potential for a number one. Let's go for it, number one. It might be the last one, actually, now I've thought of it. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I'm... uh, I'm messing with the competition. So you've gone number... You've gone one, and Shu, you've gone eight. Okay, so interestingly, this song first peaked at number eight in May 1979, but then went on oh. to reach number five in January 1993. And I couldn't find out why. So you, 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 you're, you're up two one, Stu, with that. But yeah, I couldn't. I was, I was wondering whether this was in a film or something. But um, I couldn't. It was, it was, re, it was re-released. I'll, I'll, I'll find out. I'll find out. 
be yeah, before the end of the podcast. So. Okay, I'll leave, I'll leave you with that bit of research. But yeah, I, I couldn't. I, I tried to look at We Are Family in film or what it was. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get to the bottom of what it was. But anyway, um, Jim Ross reminded Skandar that he needed to get out of there, which he did not do, and instead stayed at ringside until two referees finally got rid of him. At 45, 47 seconds, Kamala went for my favourite, absolute favourite move in the history of wrestling, which is the peck slash armpit grab. But Iceman didn't get caught in this devastating move for too long. What said that Kamala has dominated wrestling wherever he has been? Peck hold again at 134. And Watts went on and on and on about how difficult Kamala was to control with Akbar even having to warn tag team partners to watch their backs. At 2.42, someone in a mask came out and attacked Parsons on the outside. Watts said it was too big to be Friday. It was a second Friday. Kamala then hit the splash in 3.05 for the win. So the second Friday got in the ring and Kamala squared up to him and slapped his belly. But then the person removed his mask and revealed himself to be Hercules. So this was quite the built-up contest between these two. And I thought the action was poor. It only went three minutes. And I'm just not fond of this Kamala character at all. Mark, what did you think of Ice Making Parsons versus Kamala here? Um, yeah, we Kamala, I think, is good to watch here in the same vein as Yokozuna when he first debuted in WWE years later because they could both move so smoothly and quick for guys of their size uh, where most other guys that size could not in that era or any era. But in the years that followed um, these debuts in both Yokozuna and Kamala's cases, um, the match quality generally decreased as the weight increased. Um, but uh, we've discussed the thought process behind Kamala's pet grab of doom move previously. And I know, Steve, you gave a scathing criticism of it on last week's episode, so we'll <laughs> leave that alone. Um, but I did like at the finish uh, how after the pinfall, Friday, Friday, in inverted commas, got in the ring to tell Kamala to get up the same as he always does at the end of a match. But Kamala's reaction to him immediately made it clear to the viewer that it wasn't the real Friday. And um, then Hercules unmasked and scarpered. So in one in a one-minute spell, you've established unfinished business between Parsons and Kamala, uh, a new rivalry between Parsons and Hercules after he attacked him on the outside, and possible tension simmering between two of Akbar's guys, Hercules and Kamala. Yes. So yeah. overall, it was a nicely done finish. Shu, what do you think? I was a bit surprised at how quick Iceman lost here. Mm. Um, he's a new, 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 new like entity into, into Midtown. Um, so, but I don't think it did him as much harm as, as what it could have done had he lost clean because obviously there was the outside interference and stuff like that. I was just really surprised that I'm not. I'm not saying it was a squash because it wasn't a squash, but I was just surprised at how little offense he put in to somebody fairly new into the into the territory, really. Um, yeah. So, but I, 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 I like the Kamala character. I, I limited in, in moves and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I, I, I think had there not been the had, had there not been the interference, I think that would have done Ice Man quite a lot of damage. But it, obviously, with with the hand and head hand effect, that can be a nice twist, really. Um, yeah. So. So yeah, it was it, 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 it was okay. I, I do I did I did actually um, that was a good point about the um, 
the her, you know the Hercules and potential um, tension within the group. I just I don't know. I, I always thought, I always thought that when I, when I, I, when Kamala came back, I kind of was like, oh, this is like a classic classic character. Um, but I just I, I don't know what it is. I just I the only one that I really liked. He did a super fast like kind of Goldberg squash a few, a few weeks ago. And I just thought I thought that was like the perfect presentation of him. But that that peck move is. I, I think it's just. It, I, I just can't take these these weird submission moves. It's don't like they're doing anything. Um, anyway, up next we have Jason Walker and Tim Horner versus the always reliable and good fun Hector and Chavo Guerrero. Can I just it. interrupt? Yes, before go you ahead. Get into this. I'm yeah. really looking forward to hearing you explain what Bill Watts says in this. Um, I haven't made any notes. Oh, oh, okay. No, I ha- I know. I think I know what you're going to say. I think I know where you're getting at there. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I can feel the, the the heat in my face getting getting hotter, and as I go red, but I, I think I've done a reasonable job with it. Um, so they get a foot of their grateful entrance, sombreros, and all plus a Mexican flag. Boyd says that next week Hector will be in singles action against the TV champion Terry Taylor. Watts then uses an outdated term for smaller wrestlers who are going to be here next week for the kids. Is that the bit you were referring to, Mark? Yeah. 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 Okay, Brad Armstrong also, uh, I mean, he, he says it twice uh, and, he, and he's pretty pleased with himself about this as well. Um, but why Brad is Ar- it for the kids? I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought, is it because kids like seeing wrestlers that are, you know, if you're a small kid, you want to see a wrestler, uh, you know, a smaller wrestler perhaps, but yeah, pass. Um, I've never, yeah, there used to be smaller wrestlers and stuff. In, I mean, even WrestleMania 3 and I think other stuff around the time. I never remember them being explicitly pushed for the kids on the commentary, but um, yeah, don't know. Um, anyway, moving on, Brad Armstrong also will be there, plus one of my other favourites, Private Terry Daniels. And I'm really hoping that they're going to throw out a Private Terry Daniels versus Kamala 60-minute Iron Man match on one of these episodes very, very soon. And um, So the Guerreros have demanded a Mexican referee for their next shot at the tag team titles, according to Watts. Um, and Hector got the win in this one in 208 with the Bridge German Suplex, um, good action as always with the Alamo Busters. Um, Stu, what did you think of this short match? Yeah, um, <laughs> that 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 good. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm struggling a little bit here, and 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 when it comes, I'll explain why when it comes to summing up at, at the end of what we thought of the overall show. I mean, it, it yeah, two minutes is not enough to really get into a proper rhythm in and stuff like no. that. Um, I think I, I think I enjoyed the entrances more than I actually did the uh, I did the match. Um, yeah, I just I'll tell you what I did I'll tell you what I did it was when I think Chavo did a um, like a monkey flip out the corner and it was mm. almost like it was in slow motion. This guy sort of like went up and it took him a very long time to come back down. It was really <laughs> if you watch it again it's like really slow By design like a bit bit of matrix um, stuff going on there. Yeah. Yeah yeah um yeah, I, yeah. No, that's really fine. Like, that's Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any anything else, um, Mark, to add on this one? Uh, all four men were wearing red trunks, which is unforgivable. Yeah, that is um, that is bad news. And uh, I like the the spot. I really enjoyed. Um, Chavo Guerrero did a full flip, landing on his feet to counter a backdrop attempt. That was very impressive. And uh, the end of the match, Hector won it with a German suplex, but it was incorrectly described by Bill Watts as being a belly-to-belly suplex. Yes. It was not. Yeah. No, it certainly was not. It was uh, yeah. belly-to-back, wasn't it? Yeah. 
I think that movie you're talking about, he sort of like twisted in midair, didn't he, Mark? He sort of like yeah. come up, come out the corner and sort of like twisted in midair and landed on the other side of the, the opponent rather than... He landed perfectly and yeah, carried yeah. on, yeah. 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 He did an incredible suplex on, I think it was Sean Michaels a couple of weeks ago, actually, that was just phenomenal for the win. Like a belly to... I think it was a belly-to-back overhead bridging suplex for the win, which is incredible. Um, I mean, you guys might... Because might, uh, I was doing some research on, on this, this, this golden terror to find a bunch of information about. And, I, and, and you might already know this. So, uh, But I, it, it then came up with a list of like masked wrestlers. And I, and I didn't realise... Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I didn't realise that Hector was the gobbledygooker. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never realised that. So, uh, so yeah. I believe I could be wrong. I believe he played the gobbledygooker. Obviously, Survivor Series 1990 and WrestleMania 17. I think they brought him back to do the same one. Ah. Yeah, that is that that gobbledygooker thing. That that was the second pay per view I ever saw at the time, and it was just. I mean, it was bizarre as a nine year old or whatever, but. Thinking back on it, I think some people weren't some people thinking it was going to be Ric Flair or something, wasn't that around the yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, that was a rumor. Yeah, yeah, it was in dispute with um with WCW. So um yeah, just absolutely, absolutely, totally bizarre. Um now, just as the show was drawing to a conclusion, something rather exciting popped up on screen to close it out, or presumably close it out. Jake the Snake Roberts versus Shawn Michaels. So Michaels had baby blue trunks and knee pads on with white boots. And what said if they have time, they'll show a video on the new tag team, the Dirty White Boys. Uh, what's called Michael's Terry Daniels in this, which is absolutely criminal given the future that Sean would have. Um, what said that Jim Duggan was going to be appearing in some exciting country and Western shows, which we'll hear more about in the coming weeks. Um, Roberts hit his beautiful shot on clothesline before finishing off Michael's in 358. I thought there were some nice touches in this. And I thought Sean actually looked, you know, this is probably, he's always looked good in touches, throughout but I guess he's probably getting some more repetitions in around this time and working the live event circuit I thought he looked pretty good uh, Mark what do you think of this just under four minutes between Roberts and Michaels yeah we we got a few glimpses of of the stuff that make made both of these guys uh, sort of hall of famers as uh, late as time would go on uh, Watts did get the third and final plug for Mike Morgan's gym in during mm. this match uh, as Jake's cinched in an armbar um, yeah, it's the it's the subtle mannerisms that both of these guys did throughout their careers, the little touches that separate good wrestlers from Hall of Fame legends. Like um, after he avoided a roll-up attempt, Jake played up to the camera a bit, thinking he'd outsmarted uh, Michaels, and then it gave Sean opportunity to try it a second time and got a close near fall from it. Yeah. Uh, after that, Jake backed himself into a corner and he was sort of aggressively scratching the side of his head, which signified to us at home that he was mad at himself for making a silly mistake. And then uh, another one Sean did um, later on in the match, he he was in the corner and Jake tried to splash him, but Sean avoided it. But instead of just moving out of the way, as most people would, and taking over the match, Sean sort of slumped to the side like he was putting his absolute last drop of energy into just getting out of the way of this guy running at him. So I like that. And then, yeah, the... The shot arm clothesline and DDT, it, it always looks fantastic, and it did here. Yeah, big time. What did you think of this one, Shoot? Yeah, well, when I saw this come up, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is, this is, uh, this is really great. Shame, shame it didn't get longer. But what, what you know, Mark Mark covered most of the, uh, most of the match there. But what I actually think was really good here, although Sean didn't get in a lot of offense, um, I thought Jake made him look really good. Yeah, you know, I so agree. That, that 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 just shows that you know how 
even though uh, you win the match, you, you win it with the first one easy. I, I think, like I say, Dave's mannerisms and how he reacted to certain things, I think made Sean look, look really good. So, uh, so yeah. But yeah, I yeah. Only I think um, would be it's been nice. It'd be nice to have another two, three, four minutes out of the match. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Bill Watts helped as well uh, on commentary. At one point, he said, "I think it was after Shawn Michaels nearly got a close two count." He said, "These main eventers, meaning Jake, need to realise that the these preliminary boys are watching their every move and studying them." So it just it just all makes sense that you know how main event guys are making mistakes and and here's why sort of thing. It's good. Yeah, I, I I thought that was a really good line from um from from Watts in terms of like talking about the preliminary guys and you know the, as you said the main event guys have got got to watch out. So yeah, this was this was really good stuff. Um, so the third video package of the week um, was up next regarding a team that will be here in two weeks' time. I don't know much about these guys. So it's the Dirty White Boys, and this is set to Dirty White Boy by Foreigner, um, who are most famous for I Want to Know What Love Is. And sadly, alas, this did not chart in the UK. So um, Foreigner had a lot of hits, but this was not one of them. So this was Alex Porto and Tony Anthony, who later took the gimmick on himself and was later the wrestling plumber T.L. Hopper in the WWF. Um, do you know anything? Do either you know more anything more about this? Um, these guys before I move on to the uh, Alex Porto was in WWF for a while. He was Pug Porto. Oh wow! Uh, okay. That. But to be honest, I, I didn't realise that that was who we were looking at. I couldn't tell, but. Now I know, uh, I, I think I'd recognise Tony Anthony if I was looking for him, but mm. I didn't realise that's who one of the Dirty White... But I knew that was his nickname in Smoky Mountain and everywhere else. That was it, mm. Smoky Mountain. <coughs> Excuse me, that was it. I, I looked up I looked up a cage match and I thought, was he around the ECW bit? It was Smoky Mountain was the... Was the, was, the, was the one that he was probably most infamous for. Um, so we get these guys walking to the ring. Um, there's a few awkward shots, the Confederate flag. Um, they're standing on a car. There's a motorbike wheel, some close-ups of an earring interspersed with some in-ring action. Uh, they're sort of smiling at the camera. There's a solid thumbs up or two in here as well. Uh, they're holding up a towel um, there's, with some sort of motorbike emblem on it. There's a few shots that were definitely from the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis with the kind of famous lights and you can kind of see the ceiling in there and also very naughty boys they graffitied a wall with their tag team not name on it so i hope the police weren't watching and um, this was probably my least favorite of the three packages on the show um Stu, any thoughts on on this uh this dirty white boy song by foreigner and also this video package uh i, I love foreigner so that was a real highlight for me did you know um, this song then yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, bit of a, bit of a, yeah, I like the mid 80s rock, you know, big terms and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, I've nothing really much to write on the, on the video. So, I'd be just interested to see what happens when they, when they arrive. Yeah, indeed. What did you think of this, Mark? Uh, yeah, as far as the song goes, I do know when I first heard this song as well. Um, I was at the time driving my pickup truck around Blaine County, not in real life on Grand Theft Auto. Ah, and, uh, okay, yeah. And there's a country music station uh, that plays, and that was one of the songs in Grand Theft Auto Five. Ah. So yeah, immediately uh, stuck out for that. Um, according to the frontman of Foreigner, Mick Jones, the song is about Elvis Presley. Ah, he is the dirty white boy. And uh, yeah, the video itself, I, I thought these guys. Out of the ring, they look like they'd just come from the Blue Oyster Bar in Police Academy, but in the ring, they look pretty brutal. <laughs> and uh, crucially, they wore matching gear, which uh, yes, bodes well for that. 
the clips they showed of them wrestling, they look, they look like big powerhouses. Good stuff. I'll let you in on a, um, a kind of little-known fact, a little-known uninteresting fact and secret, a pathetic secret. I can't play games like Grand Theft Auto because I get really bad motion sickness playing first-person games. So I did have, what's it, True Crime Streets of LA on the old PS2 or something, and I could play that for about 15, 20 minutes. And then last, and I felt really ill. And then the last... Grand Theft Auto. So what would that have been? Would five been PS2, Mark? Uh, no, that was PS3. PS3. So five. probably been like maybe three then. I got that and I probably played it for 15 minutes. I was probably had to lie down for at least an hour. So I've never <laughs> played a first person game since. I don't know if I've still got it, but I can't like look at my phone in a car or anything like that. It just makes me feel no. thoroughly, chronically unwell. Um, so what's, yeah, your, uh, what's your go-to game then? I play a lot of, uh, this is probably even more pathetic, I play a lot of uh, 2K21 Golf on the PlayStation 4. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is really, really good. So I've got a, like a society of a couple of mates I play real golf with. Um, and we play like an event a week and occasionally online. I'm not, I, I tried FIFA, but I was getting smashed like 10-0 every time I played online. So I, just get, I gave that up. And I've got a cricket game that's quite good as well. I've got, um, uh, Dan actually very kindly bought me the, the 2k19 wwe game which i've not had a chance to play as of yet but i will be playing okay. that at some point soon but yeah i'm not very good at gaming so but sports games really are you are you a gamer yeah, my, my guilty pleasure yeah i've got i've got an xbox one i don't play yeah. as much as, uh, as as i'd like to but uh, my guilty pleasure is train sim world where you just get to drive trains around the country and build oh, nice. and, and stuff like that. why not it's, that's great it's so it's so addictive. Honestly, you just sit there, you're like three hours of past and you're just chugging along. Uh, and one of them, I think, is um, it, it's set in the Thames Valley area. So, um, so yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I run a train to Reading and back. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, well, there you go. From, is it well, from London, I know- Victoria, probably? I think so, yeah. I know the person that helped design Reading train station, actually. But that's probably, yeah, it's one of the one of my mates who <laughs> make fun of him about how bad he designed it is. And Mark, what do you, do you, are you still a bit of a gamer these days? No, not massively. Uh, again, same as the TV yeah, show time, question, it? uh, it's having time. But uh, I've got, I've, I got for Christmas, I'm on PS4 now. I got for Christmas the 2K19. Yeah. And um, there's a facility where you can download if you go online with it, download special arenas and uh, wrestlers that other people have created. Ah, okay. And, um, and I've been doing it recently. I've got the, the Mid-South Arena with ah, all its, really? the proper logos and everything. Mm. That looks pretty fun. And uh, there's a lot of AEW stuff and old ECW. Everything you cool. can think of, you can download and it really adds to the uh, game i think i need to get myself some some spare time asap and, and get involved in that so just to close off the mid-south show i've got i've got one more ra- very random trivia question that's not mid-south related once you've done this show and um, back at the commentary desk jake roberts is standing there and what said that he thought roberts had underestimated Shawn michaels who was very close to winning Robert said he had something on his mind, the TV title match that had been given to Hector Guerrero. He had been a TV champion before. He came over to Mid-South, the most devastating move in all of wrestling. And Watts basically cut him off there and said he'd have to see Grizzly Smith, which is obviously his father. Um, And as we went off the air with Robert's basically mouthing to the camera that he was number one. Um, So there's a lot to unpack in this episode. I liked almost all of it, apart from aforementioned exception involving Kamala and Parsons. The highlight is definitely everything with DiBiase in it, the, the promos and the match. Um, Stu, what are your final thoughts on the February 2nd, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling? Okay, so like you said, there, there was a lot, of, a lot of stuff in here. Um, apart from the DiBiase, uh, 
DiBiotti angle, I was a bit, just a little bit flat on the actual wrestling content. Um, but I think this show was more designed to set up multiple angles to, to, to move forward over the next few weeks. So um, on that respect, I thought it was, uh, it was, I really enjoyed that stuff. And it's probably one of the better shows that I've, I've seen, albeit the wrestling content probably wasn't as high quality as, as it has been previously. Good stuff. What are, you, what are your final thoughts on this one, Mark? Uh, in the in the past, we've when I've been on the podcast, we've, we've reviewed shows that are sometimes that are match heavy with very little else happening, and other shows which were very promo heavy with little happening in the ring. Uh, but I thought this episode had had a had a good amount of everything. Really, we had one good, very good match with the the ta- tag match with DBSC and Duggan involved. Uh, there was a good promo courtesy of Ted DiBiase and the rebuttal from Jim, Jim Duggan. And we also had three music videos, one at the beginning, one at the middle, one at the end, which were of varying quality. Uh, so overall, a little bit of everything. It was a thumbs up from me. Um, and the, the other notable thing about it, there were eight performers on this show, eight, that were that are now in the WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, so, do you know what? I'm going to steal that for my episode note, so thank you. Yeah, so we had uh, Ricky and Robert... DBRC, Duggan, uh, Jake, Robert, Sean Michaels, Jim Ross, Bill Watts. Yeah, good amount of Hall of Famers for one hour-long episode. Yeah, absolutely right. Here's my... Sorry, Shu, do you have something to add there? Uh, no, no, I was. I, I just said that was a good spot, but just, just so I don't forget, I've done a little bit of research on Sister Pledge, We Are Family. Oh, great, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So 1993, the only link I can make is that it was in Sister Act, Oh, that's happy. it. That's one hundred percent it. That's that must so, be it. Yeah, that yeah. Will be that must be the lit. Well, yeah, at least the why it was probably re-released. So there you go. Yeah, definitely. Right, he, that's great research too. Here, here's my random. And I, I was thinking about this because um, we talked about the other day. We talked about a little bit of a gem that we saw on Raw. Have you have you had a chance to catch that match with Randy Savage and Yokozuna as the HG? No, I haven't yet. No, but it's definitely watch this. Keep it on your on your watch list. So I was watching some old Bret Hart stuff the other day, and I and um, they were they were they were talking on Raw about a match between uh, basically Randy Savage challenging Yokozuna for the WWF World Title, the kind of couple of weeks before WrestleMania 10, which was really really good. And I was saying to the guys in in messages that I was quite surprised at the level of worker that Savage was. And, and Yokozuna was, you know, winding down a bit. He was around for a long time, but this is kind of towards the end of his big singles run. Um, but it's just this really fantastic sort of 12-minute match on Raw, um, which, Mark, you, you've, you've seen and you enjoyed as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, very good stuff. Yeah, so it was I've, something I, I, I don't even remember happening. Normally, a, a title match on Raw, certainly in them days, was, a, was an unusual big deal. But, yeah, I had yeah. no memory of this at all. No, I remember Yokozuna beating Savage on like a uh, WrestleMania countdown or something like that show before WrestleMania 9 and like beating him clean as a whistle, I guess when they were building him up to be champion. But on this, uh, well, I'm not going to give anything away. Go and watch it. It's from, from uh, I'm going to tell you when it was. It was the February the 21st, 1994 episode of, uh, of Monday Night Raw. It's the first show, first first match on the show. So that made me thinking, I was thinking, what was what was Randy Savage's last match in the WWF? So I looked that up and it was on, it was on a, a Germany tour um, and it was a tag team match. And I won, and it was in the main event. So if you think back to September, 1994, who, who would Randy Savage potentially be appearing in a tag team match in the main event? So have a couple of guests shout some names out who was randy savage's partner and who was he who were their opponents in that match in september 1994 
That's your I'll, closing I'll, quiz question. I'll, I'll go with Lex Luger. So Lex Luger was not in the match. Okay. That mm. that was after SummerSlam, wasn't it? So it was Taker versus Taker was the main was sort of the main event of SummerSlam. That's who right. Was, yeah, yeah. So who was who was um, who was champion at that match? So Brett was Brett was still champion at this point. Yeah. Yeah, about a couple of months ago. Yeah. So was Owen one of the opposition? Was Owen was opposition? one of the opposition, yeah. Yeah, so Owen was on the other side. Which is probably a reasonable clue as to the other well, two. Was in partnership with Yokozuna, was it? No, it was uh, it was too oh. early for that, yeah. Uh, Bulldog? No, no. But, but same relation to Owen Hart as British Bulldog was. Angle. Yes. So who was Savage's partner? I would have thought this is relatively obvious at this point, but maybe not, as as my Zoom freezes at the optimum moment. But I think Mark is certainly back, hopefully. Are you both there, gentlemen? Yeah, I, I think yeah, you are. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. froze. Oh, okay, okay. But it's, you know, that's why I think I've I think I've kept to it, but I'll check that out at the end. So any fire, did, did either of you say the name while, while I was frozen? I, I believe it's Bret Hart. I think yes. you thought it was Shawn Michaels. Yeah, no, Bret Hart. Um... I'll tell you how I, I, I did have a... I had a good idea on that because in August of 94, I went to a house show in... They did a UK tour, presumably before they went to Germany. Mm. And there was two main events, which were um, Razor Ramon and Lex Luger against uh, Diesel and Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and British Bulldog against... Uh, Owen and the Anvil. So ah, when you said okay. he was in a tag match main event, I'd assumed he was either with Brett or Davy Boy or Razor or Lex. So once you ruled out uh, Lex, then power of deduction, I'd have got that right, I think. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, se- the semi... Sorry, Shu, go ahead. No, 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 go, go for it, mate. I'll, uh, I was, yeah, I was just going to say the semi-main event on that was Diesel and Shawn Marcus versus Lex Luger and Razor Ramon on that night. So, um, yeah, Jeff Jarrett defeated Doink, The Undertaker versus Crush. Mabel defeated Bam Bam Bigelow and Alundra Blaze defeated Bull Nakano, which I'd imagine was probably pretty good. And Erwin R. Scheister beat the one, two, three kid in the opener. So, yeah, I, yeah. I saw a very similar card in Hull of all places. Oh, well, so well. that must have been pretty. Fu- so, Savage wasn't there, though, unfortunately. No, 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 he wasn't. no. yeah, it's such, a, it's such a shame. I've only, I only ever saw Randy once at SummerSlam, but that was it. I never, never, yeah, never saw uh, any of uh, his stuff in WCW. I, I, was just, I was just about to say that. I feel. I feel we were robbed of of, of Savage. Too, you know what yeah. I mean? I still think he would have had a role, you know, uh, in wrestling somewhere had he not, you know, obviously not tragically uh, died. I, I just feel we're, we've been robbed of 10, 10, 10 yeah. years. Of, of well, like I, I said to Steve in the group chat that um, he proved everyone wrong come 1997. Him and Diamond Dallas Page were having... I think it was the feud of the year in, in the Power Slam Awards. Mm. And they had uh, some really, really good matches throughout that summer. So he still had plenty in the tank in 97. So we're talking yes. 94 here. And as far as WWF were concerned, he was pretty much finished. Yeah, it was we- a really weird use of him. It just goes to show the difference between Vince McMahon in the- and this time when Savage was 42 around the- around this time of his end of his WWF career. And he was like, no, you're you know you're out of it. We talked before about Hogan was 39 when he lost the title to Yokozuna at that King of the Ring, and now all of a sudden you're you know he can't get enough of the guys in their mid 40s or 50s. Um, I guess obviously he is he is aged, and you know some of the people that he 
trust with um, putting in these positions of age with him. Anyway, guys, any any further final thoughts? But uh, sounds a bit Jerry Springer like before we uh, before we get on out of here. Uh, just on on me after I mentioned the Hall of Fame thing earlier. Um, I think at the time none of us were very familiar, if at all, with Bill Watts. But here yes. we are now in 2021, in 2009. The three of us watched him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. We were there that night. Yeah. I can't remember that speech. Is that, I suppose that's on the network somewhere. I might try and hunt that out yeah, I think and actually watch that. Yeah. That was, I... it, it was one of the most frustrating WWE events I've ever been to. Because I remember clearly after uh, the year before was when I think Ric Flair spoke in his induction for 40, 45 minutes maybe. The yeah. Rock was speaking that long as well when he inducted his father and grandfather. And, um, and then in this ceremony, 2009, that we went to, it was the first time they were going live on television. So they restricted out, I don't know if you remember, they restricted everybody's time yeah, to the ridiculous. point where there was, uh, on the big screen, they had a countdown, countdown clock, so the, clock so the guys talking could all see how much they got. Some of them literally were getting five minutes or ten minutes to speak. And, uh, and the lineup of talent they had that night who were going to speak you had Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk, Steve Austin, Ric Flair, um, Jim Ross. Uh, it, the list went on and on of really, really good talkers who just didn't get an opportunity to talk, and it was so frustrating. What did Austin get? Ten minutes, didn't he? I think. Yeah, he was the main event. I think he, he had ten minute speech. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, yeah, it was awful. And I tell you what, that that clock. I remember the clock was behind us, wasn't it? So it's on I the think big... I took a photo at one point of yeah, showing this huge countdown clock. I couldn't believe what I was saying. It was just yeah. so, so I felt so, so cheesy. I mean, I remember the the two thousand and I can't remember much about. I mean, you, Stu, you at the two thousand eight one, the really famous one with yeah. Flair, weren't you? I imagine that yeah. was an incredible experience to be there live, wasn't it? Amazing. Yeah. Well, that that whole that whole uh, I feel really blessed to have gone to that one. You had the Hall of Fame, you had his last match at WrestleMania, and then you had that unbelievable uh, ceremony at the end yeah. of Raw with. Yeah. Uh, I still get goosebumps there. Just to be there was just absolutely uh, amazing. Um, and, I, and I feel very blessed to have, to have managed to do that one. Um, but yeah, and I think if I remember right, the 2009 Hall of Fame, you might, you might correct me if I'm wrong here, was the, the Hall of Fame ceremony was always a very prestigious event, wasn't it? it was always, everyone used to get dressed up, didn't they, and stuff like that. Whereas I think the 2009 one was the first event and, and I've sent I've just sent you both a little while ago a photo to watch that was the first outside the four of us outside oh uh, yeah yeah and I and I think that was the first event where the dress code was more relaxed if you know what to mean. And then from there for me personally that's where all the fame just started maybe it's like you know to almost become a you know, you never got the chanting or anything like that like you do at now at the, the Hall of Fame now if you know what to mean. So uh, or, or didn't have one this year or last year rather so um but but yeah the, the flair was was, was was magical um that said though austin i don't think austin was talking more than 15 20 minutes anyway yeah i, I was gonna say that individual yeah. was he so um well the point know, is it, it was the fact that he didn't have the opportunity to is, is opportunity, what was so yeah. frustrating yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's got to be a balance with those, with those things. And, and I think, I think that actually they've probably gone back more um, the other way now because they, they just seem to let them go on forever um, actually now, which I, I don't think makes 
the, the thing with the Hall of Fame that's very different now is that, um, you know, obviously I, I presume that's, I don't know what's going to, what's happening with the events around WrestleMania, if there's going to be anything else going on, but um, there's a big, there's a big difference when, when we were going in the early years, there wasn't much. I remember actually, Mark, you, were you going to a Ring of Honor show, maybe in Detroit and it was too difficult to get to or something? That's the first time I really remember there being yeah, like I, other stuff. Yeah, I had stuff. a ticket for it and it was too, yeah, it was too difficult logistically and it was a wasted ticket. Yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah, so so for all those years before that, it was like this. It's, this is the only show in town, and actually, even for a little bit after that, there wasn't you know it wasn't a lot of people. But now you've got you know you've got you've got the takeover, which I, I would say is, is pretty much must see. Um, obviously, we you know the weekend in New York was the New Japan show. The year before that, you had Omega and Cody Rhodes in a, in a Ring of Honor show, and an unbelievable takeover. I probably made the wrong choice there, but you had. All of the guys that are in AEW plus Tanahashi and people were at the Ring of Honor show that sold out plus takeover on the same night. So something's got to give. So that's I think I think in, in some ways the Hall of Fame has. And then you've got like you know the, the all the other indie promotions and stuff. I'd probably rather, especially with like I'm not so into the second the second inductions and the second speeches. It's like I'm not and I, I just. Yeah, I'm not sure there's that many people. I, I quite like to see CM Punk go in, but apart from that, I can't. Can you think of anyone off the top of your head that you would? You know, particularly like to see an induction from now that's actually around. We're getting into sort of the last ten or fifteen years who, who yeah, stopped yeah. wrestling. I think that's the Rock. That's it. Obviously, Undertaker's in the, yeah. the frame now. Yeah, yeah the Rock Taker. But I mean, um, I don't know if you remember, Steve. We went to the 2004 Hall of Fame, obviously before yes. WrestleMania 20, and that was the last time they did it in an intimate, small setting. Yeah. With I think there was. I remember when tickets were on sale, I was panicking about getting some. There was literally maybe 150, 200 seats. Mm. And then the year later, which I believe you... Did you go that year as well? Yeah, you went California to was... Um, yeah, it was in a theater. And that was the first time yeah. in a, a... Yeah, it was It was like an arena, basically, for, for the crowd. That's yeah. when... I remember it It was good, and it was logical when they were chanting one more match at Hulk Hogan, I think, yeah, that year. that's right. But now... The problem is every year now, whoever's, whoever's talking, they're getting drowned out by chance, whether it's one more match or something else. Recently, I watched um, the 2007 one, and it's literally every 30 seconds, somebody, once it goes quiet, somebody will scream yeah. something that's inappropriate, that's not needed, just to get themselves heard. And it yeah. drives me mad. So, yeah, if they, if they did go back, spe- specifically now in the COVID era, if they went back to a small setting where it's just wrestlers in the in the small crowd, I think that would make for a better show for us to watch on TV. Well, Bret Hart got bloody attacked at the last one, didn't he? I mean, you just got, yeah. you just got too, it's just too many morons. I, I think it'd be better off doing it in, the thing is they wouldn't do it because it's all, and I do get it, it's a business. They want to sell 5,000, two, even 2,500 tickets. They're probably, you know, uh, making some money on that. Maybe not, I don't know, for, for the re- but then I get, they, I guess they get probably get that arena pretty cheap if you're doing four nights in there with SmackDown Raw um, and NXT. So it's all about the money, isn't it? But I would have it in, an, in a little studio or something with just the wrestlers in the audience. They'll all laugh along and, and that would be, mu- be a much better show and have the guys do 20-minute speeches, 25-minute speeches, and that's it, and get out of there. Right, speaking of getting out of there, where can we find you both on Twitter? Uh, Mark, you go first and then Stu, you follow uh, I'm at, at Dopper6, D-O-P-P-E-R, number six. And Stu? Yeah, and I'm at Wakefield Canary, W-A-K-E-F-I-E-L-D. 
And I've just remembered actually something very important that I hadn't written down, um, but I'm going to reveal now, reveal all. So we may or may not be back on, an, on a normal episode of Mid-South before, uh, before this. I can't think how many weeks we've got, but we'll certainly be back on the 1st of April with our, we're just working out exactly what we're going to do uh, still, but we'll be back on the 1st of April 2001 for our 20-year look back. The first time we all, the first time we met and the first WrestleMania we ever went to. So watch this space for April 1st, 2021, 20 years on. Crikey, I feel old. So we'll, we'll be back then. And gents, thank you very much for your time as ever. I look forward to speaking with you both very, very soon. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button follow on Spotify or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments, so why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter, and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon.